we are getting near the uh, end here of a sermon series we started at the, uh, a few weeks ago. Called, we've called it Structural Integrity. And as the picture reminds us through the bridge and through the um, buildings there, the beautiful picture there, it reminds us that whenever something's built, the engineers who design it and build it know that it has to be built with structural integrity. In other words, it has to be able to do what it's supposed to do. Structural integrity is defined as the ability of a structure to withstand its intended load without fracture or without, due to fatigue or uh, failure. Uh, so we want to uh, have the, the structural integrity of something that's built to hold up. And when a structure fails to hold its integrity, what happens is that that load is always transferred to surrounding structures if there's a surrounding structure to be there. And then, th then their failure of integrity is stressing the other structures nearby. Or if the other structures aren't there or they can't handle the extra stress, then there's a collapse. And we all know the stories all too well of when structures collapse due to a failure of integrity. And it works the, much the same way when it comes to our personal integrity. Now, we've talked about integrity and how it's basically doing the right and noble thing simply because it's the right and noble thing to do. But we've given you an official definition for this series, and this is the definition we're using for integrity. Integrity is doing what you ought to, even if it costs you. Doing what you ought to, even if it costs you. Now, here's the thing about integrity. Um, just like with structural integrity, it's also true with personal integrity, that when we have a failure of personal integrity, our failure will always add stress to the persons around us. They're left to carry that stress of our, of our integrity failures, right? Uh, some of you grew up in a home where you know this too well. Perhaps you grew up in a home where you had a sibling, a, a brother or a sister that, that kind of was, they, they, they were a problem. They, were, they struggled. And because of their failures, the, the load was transferred and your mom and dad were, were kind of distracted by and, and consumed by helping them through their crisis and weren't able to give you the, uh, the attention and, and you, care, you bore the load of someone else's failure of integrity. Or perhaps you, you, your failure of integrity caused that for somebody else. That's what happens when integrity fails, whether it's structural or personal, the load is always transferred and it's always transferred to those who are closest to us, right? And so it's so important that we understand the importance of our integrity. Now, we've given you a theme verse for this whole series, and our verse is uh, Proverbs 11 and verse 3, and it goes like this, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Now, we've talked about that verse a lot the last few weeks, so I won't go into all of it. I want to remind you just once more about that word upright. The idea is someone who is not bent over or crooked, that they're standing up straight, they're straightened up. When we're bent over, we're looking at what's right in front of us. We're looking at the immediate. We're looking at you know, what's right here, right? And when we do that, well, then we're tempted to make a decision upon, based upon now. What's going to benefit me now? What do I want to do now? What do I not want to do now? And because now is now, but we forget that later is longer. And when we're, we're bent over, our appetites are engaged with the now, we can make bad decisions that could take us down bad paths. But those who are upright, those who are standing up straight and are able to take the long look, who realize that later is longer, who walk in integrity and make the decisions based upon what is right. Well, th th that's who we want to be. That's who we want 
uh, others around us in our nation and our, our communities to be. People of integrity. So we told the story last week that we're going to finish today. And I just want to give you us a little bit of review because the story was about a young man named Daniel. And Daniel was in a situation where he had been taken into captivity when the Babylonian Empire, who had actually been around for a thousand years, but finally made its big, you know, global conquest surge, uh, when, when the Babylonian Empire took over uh, a lot of nations, including the land of, of, Jerusalem, of, of Judah, Israel, and, and it took the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the, t- the walls were destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and uh, people were killed, the poor and uh, others were left behind to occupy the land and kind of pay tribute as a vassal state towards the king of Babylon. And then some of the people, like Daniel, were taken into captivity. And, and as bad as that sounds, in a lot of ways, he was a lucky one because he wasn't killed in the conquest, nor was he treated like some people were treated. Many of the girls were taken as to be, you know, you know wives of men against their will in captivity. And then Daniel, here he is, a man who could have been put like others into the salt mines to work as a slave in the salt mines or perhaps used as battle fodder, battle fodder uh, in the front of the battles to, to take the shots first as they go to war with other people. But Daniel could have been put to work in manual labor where he could have just gotten hurt and then left behind to die because slaves are cheap when you're a conquering kingdom. But Daniel was given an opportunity that not everyone was receiving. Daniel and some of his friends and others were considered the best of the best. They were considered, you know, they were handsome, bright. They just had that it factor. And the king's orders were whenever they go to these cities like Jerusalem to take the best and the brightest and bring them to Babylon where they could there be groomed as teenagers. These are 13 to 17-year-old age kids to be groomed to be uh, adults who were educated in the ways of, uh, educated well and, and given a lot of knowledge and how things operate there in that kingdom. They could be fed well and, and just kind of prepared to, to then as adults and young adults to serve in Babylon where, quite honestly, the king was going for a cosmopolitan city where people from all nations were young, attractive people with different races and languages lived there and they all served the king. And it was just a testimony to Babylon's power to have this conglomeration of people in the royal city. So Daniel's brought in amongst these group, this group of elites, basically, uh, to give a chance to have a better life, even in captivity. And part of that package was that they were expected to, they, they, were, they were given a nice place to stay, which many folks didn't have. They were given a special diet. They were actually given food to eat from the king's menu. And it really had a kind of a sweet gig, the kind of thing where you'd be like, hey, Daniel, this whole thing's kind of bad, but you kind of got a good deal in a bad situation. Don't mess it up. But Daniel was going to mess it up, wasn't he? Because Daniel had some principles that he was living by. In fact, we picked up the story last week in Daniel 1 verse 8 where it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with a royal food and wine. Now, we're not going to get into all the reasons why this is a thing. We discussed that last week already, didn't we? But... And if you missed that, you could go online and watch it or listen to it at our website either way. But listen, Daniel made a decision that he was not going to dishonor his values as a follower of his God, Yahweh, and, and, and do something that would bring honor through the, the, the circumstances to the Babylonian false gods, which Daniel just took a principle. In a merciless culture where there was zero guarantees that that would turn out for him, where people just like Daniel had been killed for a lot less than that before, Daniel was in a danger of being cast away and and executed because he would not do the thing he was asked to do 
in really what was a pretty good situation if he would have embraced it. But Daniel resolved. That word resolved means that he, Daniel, he made up his mind. And in fact, Daniel, Daniel made up his mind ahead of time. And so that's what integrity does. It takes the long look and he, and he decided that I'm going to do what's right. Even when my appetites get engaged or my circumstances challenge me, I'm going to do what's right. And so... Daniel, Daniel, amazingly, despite no guarantees, he was one of the ones who, I mean, for all the people who have been martyrs for doing what's right before, Daniel's one of those people in history. It turned out good for him. God intervened. The king took favor of him. And, and what, so what happens next is amazing. Not just does Daniel come through that circumstance we studied, but he spends the next 55 years. So he's, he's, in, he's in this place for like seven decades. But 55 years later, he's still there, still in government work in Babylon. But now a new king has come to the throne. Nebuchadnezzar is gone. A couple other people have temporarily sat there. They're gone. And now the Medes and Persian Empire is rising. And Darius the Great, the King of Kings as he was called, Darius was now sitting on the throne at Babylon as part of the new emerging Persian Empire. And Darius is, is there. And Daniel, 55 years later, is still around. And now King Darius is trying to figure out how to rule. And of course, being there, you know, sometimes we, we all hate those people who are career politicians. But in this particular case, King Darius is like, I need some people who kind of know how this, this, this show goes around here, you know. They know how things work. I'm the new guy. And so I'm the king, but I want people I can trust who've been here. So he looked around for the leaders around him that he could trust to help him lead this new administration of his as king of Babylon, as king of everything, of a, lot, of a lot of things under the great and emerging Persian Empire. And Darius, of all the people he saw that he, he liked, Daniel stood out. In fact, it says that um, as he's appointing leaders over precincts and then leaders over leaders, and that kind of funneling up, the one person he trusted the most underneath him was Daniel. But Daniel's not a 17-year-old kid, or he's not a 15-year-old kid anymore. He's not young and attractive and cool and the kind of person that you want to say, yeah, bring in the cream of the crop. He's now an older person. But he's such a remarkable person at this age of his life still that the king notices him. In fact, we, Daniel chapter 6 verse 3 tells us, now that Daniel had so distinguished himself among the administrators and the governors by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. In other words, Darius is over all, and Daniel would answer to Darius only, and then Daniel is over all the other leaders who were over all the other people. He was going to put Daniel right there. That's huge. And by the way, as you can imagine, this did not fly well with the other leaders. Daniel's contemporaries, no one likes it when the other person emerges from the pack and gets the opportunity. They did not like that. In fact, it really bothered them because Daniel wasn't even from there. He was a foreigner. He wasn't even born there. And now he's going to be in charge of, of, of a bunch of us? No, he can't do that. They were like so upset that Daniel was getting this opportunity. It bothered them. And they felt that something had to be done. So in verse 4 it says, At this, the administrators and the governors tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. In other words, we've got to be able to dig up some dirt on this guy. 55 years in government work, there's some skeletons in his closet somewhere. I just know it. And they tried really hard. That's what you do, right? That's what people do today. You try to find dirt on the other party and make them look bad and make a big deal of it. And then you try to hide your own skeletons and minimize them if they're exposed as if it's just a big conspiracy against you. And so everyone likes to play this game. 
And they're going to get Daniel tossed out because they want him out of there because he was, he was a threat to them. And they didn't like him in charge. So they put their plans together. But it says, but they were unable to do so. They could find nothing on this guy. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. That's remarkable. Like who can, how many of us could, could we pass that kind of scrutiny? But Daniel, they found no corruption. He was trustworthy, not corrupt, not negligent. It's amazing. And I said this last week. I'll say it real quick again. Daniel was that way at 70 because Daniel was already that way when he was 17. That when he was a young man, he made a decision in his life not to breach his integrity. Because remember, a breach of integrity leads to a second one, and a second one creates a pattern. And a young Daniel said, I'm not going to compromise a little thing like my food meal here. Because later on, it will be tested in bigger ways. And that's the secret. See, what happens along the way is we are tempted, you're tempted, I'm tempted, to compromise on our integrity over things that we say, well, it's just a little thing. Just a little thing. And so we want to make a, 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 a compromise that sometimes will lead to a bigger one later on and a bigger one later on, and we've created a pattern. But Daniel did the right thing young, and he kept at it, and here he was at 70 above reproach. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. Well, anyhow, these people are trying to get him buried, and they can't do it. So in verse 5, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. In other words, the only way we can get Daniel in trouble is we notice that he's very zealous in his following God. If we can make it somehow illegal, or somehow against the law to do his worship of his God, well, then we could get him in trouble because he prioritizes that. So that's our secret tool. So I'm going to read you a few verses of what happens next, then we'll talk about them. Verse number six. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, and advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And now let's back that up and talk about that. These guys get together and they go to the king with a plan. They get there and they're like, King Darius, live forever. Oh, man, you are the best. By the way, new hairstyle, I like what you're doing with it. We, we are your biggest fans, man. You are the best. We're the Darius fan club right here. And listen, we had this awesome idea that we should just make you even, we should just make everyone appreciate how awesome you are. And so as your biggest fans, we have a proposal. Because, I mean, after all, you're the king of kings. You're the man. So what we want to do is we just want to have a 30-day celebration. We want to have a, a big old uh, you know, hoopla. We're going to call it 30 Days of Darius. You know? We're just going to have a whole thing. It'll be floats and, and, and rot, pony rides, and it's going to be a blast. And, and, and for the 30 days, we're going to ask everybody else that they don't do anything other than honor you, which means that just for 30 days, whatever their religious proclivities are and their, and their practices, that no one asks anyone else for anything or prays to any deity or whatever they might do, just for 30 days, just in honor of you, that the only person we can ask things of or pray to or whatever that might be is you, just for 30 days, just as a reminder of how awesome you are to kind of make you the center because, yay, Darius, we love you. And we feel like 
you got to put some muscle behind it. So if they don't do this, if, if someone doesn't follow this plan, we just think there ought to be consequences. And I don't know, we thought maybe they could be thrown into a lion's den. You know, because why not? Now, when you read thrown into the lion's den, that seems a little bit weird to us. But you have to remember, these were brutal times. These are barbaric times. And, and the Babylonians had their own weird ideas. They just did. I mean, for example, there's a common thing during the Babylonian Empire that you can read about where when people were offensive to the king, if they wanted to make an example out of them, they would kill them, kill their families, and turn their house into a giant dunghill. How's that for a statement? I mean, why? I guess you're making a statement is what you're doing, you know? They just had these things that they, they, they would do, right? So, and it's not, it was not original with Babylon. The Egyptians were that way. The, the world was that way. Before there was Babylon, there was Assyria. You know what the Assyrians would do to their worst enemies? They would impale them on a stick, flay their skin, and leave them to die to, make, to scare anyone off of crossing them ever again. The Romans after them, sometime after them, after the Grecians and others, the Romans would, um, well, the Romans would um, crucify you on a cross so that you would know never to cross the Roman Empire. This is not unlike the times. And apparently one of the things they would do in those days was the lion's den. Like keep a den of lions. And if someone crosses us the wrong way, they're not just going to die. They're going to die this way because this kind of death will make everyone else sit up and pay attention and say, don't mess with these people. So as the Persian Empire is beginning, as, the meat, as Darius the Mede is on the throne, they decided, let's make a celebration for 30 days only to pray to you, only to honor you. It's 30 days of Darius. Woo! And anyone who does not follow through will just toss them into the lion's den because for 30 days, just only this little bit of time, it's your show. But that wasn't far enough for them. They were afraid that they had to kind of tie him down to his own decision. So in verse 8 it says, Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. This is a very important thing to understand. Like, how can the king sign a law that he can't unsign? But you have to understand something, that the Medes and Persians, you see those two names together, this was a, this was a union of sorts. This is a, con, this is a con, combining of superpowers, well, of powers to form a superpower. In fact, the Persian Empire would end up being the, the more memorable Empire, the Cyrus the Great, the Persian king and stuff, our, our tax Xerxes, our, you know, all these people, they would come. To, to, so Darius is, is part of this as the Medes. But there's a whole lot more going on than just Darius and the grand scheme of things. And part of this conglomeration of superpower, of powers to become a superpower, there had to be some kind of a code that they were obliged to keep that reigned over them that if certain things were done, they were uphold, they're upholding to follow. So in this particular case, by signing something and according to this signet of the law of the Medes and the Persians, it became unbreakable even to the king himself, whoever that king might be. And these guys are like, hey, king, this is, we want this to be the real celebration. So we want you to sign this law. And, and, and as I read that, you might be thinking, why was this such a big deal to sign it in accordance with a law that cannot be repealed of the Medes and the Persians? Why, why is that such a big deal? I don't know. Kings did weird stuff sometimes, let's be honest. Okay? How many times in Scripture alone do we read the story of some king looking at some beautiful woman and saying, I'll give you whatever you want, up to half the kingdom. 
Now that's a guy talking right there, isn't it? I'll give you whatever you want, maybe up to half the kingdom. It's like, really? Up to half the kingdom? Do you really mean that? I wonder, if anyone ever tried to actually claim that, what would happen to them? Okay, I'll take half the kingdom. Oh, that was a figure of speech. Wait a minute now. I wasn't in my right mind. I was just caught up in the moment. I mean, what do you do, you know? So, you know, but for some reason, sometimes they just went over the top. And these guys are like kings. Sign this and seal it so it can't be repealed because this is your party for 30 days. And the king bites. It says in verse 9, so King Darius put the decree in writing. Now it's too late. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened. Daniel had a custom where he would go upstairs to his room every day. That's how they knew he, they knew about his customs because he did it so regularly. He would pray facing towards Jerusalem. When Daniel heard the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened and, and what, would he, what did Daniel do? What would you do? What would I do in that moment? If we were in Daniel's shoes, do you kind of just keep the windows closed? You know, keeping the mosquitoes out, Lord, but I can still pray. You know, or do you open the windows, and, but you kind of just like, you know, kind of pretend, you know, you know, kind of act like you're not really praying. Like, oh, is there a bird up there, Lord? I'm talking to you, God. You know what I'm talking about. You know, you, you kind of like when you're young and you're growing up in a home that they pray at the table for dinner, and you go to a restaurant and you're like embarrassed because you're getting older and you're like, oh, I'm not going to do this. Or I've seen people, you know, who were, thought they were supposed to pray for their food. And they feel awkward, so then they're like, okay, drop the napkin. Oh, oh, Lord, bless the food in Jesus' name. Amen. What? I don't even know what's going on here. You know, I mean, I got a low-key fly under the radar. You know, what do you, if you're Daniel, do you just kind of pretend to pray? Do you kind of just say, well, God, you know my heart. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot on the line here. What do we do in a moment like that? What do you do when you are certain that doing the right thing will cost you. We said that earlier, integrity is doing what you ought to even if it costs you. But in our series so far, we're implying that it might cost you. Some of us were thinking, well, it might cost me at my job. It might cost me my promotion. It might cost me some money. It might cost me a, that friendship. Or it might cost me some, you know, some status in someone's eyes. But what do you do when you are certain, not wondering, not maybe, but certain that doing the right thing will cost you? In this case, it was written in the law of the Medes and the Persians. What do you do? The answer is this. It depends on what's most important to you. If what's most important to you is, well, money or promotion or title or getting ahead of that relationship or living, in Daniel's case, living, you know, staying alive, well, then you're going to act accordingly. But if there's something else that's most important to you, maybe you'll do something else. In Daniel's case, maybe the thing that was most important to him was integrity. What's most important to you decides what you do when you're certain it's going to cost you. Verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed and giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. This is so important. Daniel, that's how they knew he would do it. He always did. And, and just like always, he opened his windows, got on his knees, and, and prayed to Yahweh like he always had done three times a day. And he didn't, this is such an important phrase, just as he had done before. Something, not something he started because 
There's always those contrarians. Oh, the government says, I can't do that. Well, I'm just going to make it. I'm gonna, no one's going to tell me what to do. Daniel wasn't just doing this all of a sudden to be contrarian. Daniel was doing just as he had always done before. Daniel was living by principles that weren't trying to be contrary. But when they became contrary, he just kept following the principles he always followed. Interesting, isn't it? Well, verse 11, then these men went as a group and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Sure enough, they show up, right? They're, the spies are there. Aha, there he is. He's praying. We got him. We got him. They showed up with their cameras. It was Facebook Live. You know, they, they had the whole thing recorded. They were ready. Verse 12, so they went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty will be thrown into the lion's den? Can you picture the conversation? Hey, King Darius, it's us again. You know, your governors, your, your leadership team, and your fan club. By the way, I love how you groomed your beard today. It looks so good. What'd you do? I need to get that kind of oil. And if I, anyhow, uh, why, why are we here? Oh, I know why we're here. Just by the way, King, wouldn't believe this, but today, question, didn't you sign a paper? What, what, did he sign a paper? Yeah, you signed something, didn't you? Fellas, what did he sign? Oh, yeah, it was that thing about... Um, no one could pray to any other deity or except for, for you for 30 days. Well, that, that's, you sign, didn't he sign that, fellas? Yeah, it was, it was by the law of the Medes and the Persians. Yeah, that's what it was. Didn't you do that? And wasn't the consequence a lion's den? Oh, king, live forever. You're awesome. And the king's like, yeah, yeah, okay. What's, what's your point? What are you getting at? It's like, well, you see, Daniel. You know Daniel. Verse 13. Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, Pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. In other words, Daniel's not even around here when these exiles that some, for some reason, he's, he's still around here and some people <clears throat> like him a lot. But that exile, yeah, he, he's, not, he's not even listening to you. See, King, this is what's crazy. We were just minding our own business and we were strolling over to Daniel's house all together, weren't we, guys? Yeah, we were going to Daniel's house to bring him his 30 days of Darius swag bag. It had T-shirts and glow sticks. It was going to be awesome. We're bringing it over to him. And, and when we got there, we were shocked. We were just shocked, King, because his windows were open. He was defiantly praying to, to, to his deity. And, and it hurts us. It hurts us to tell you this, doesn't it, boys? Oh, yeah, hurts us to tell you this. We hate it. But, but we just thought you should know. As much as it breaks all of our hearts, King, Daniel broke the law. Verse says this, he still prays three times a day. <clears throat> well, the king realizes he made a big blunder. He sees what's been up. He loved Daniel for whatever reason. He just really liked Daniel. He, was, he trusted him. That's why he was putting him in charge. And he really didn't want to lose him. He spends the rest of the day trying with his best attorneys and lawyers and everybody he could find just to find a way around it. But by the end of the day, there's no way around it. The guys are there to remind him, you signed the law, O king, live forever, you know. And he had no choice. Verse 16. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. Then the king said, Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually. Daniel, may your God whom you serve. By the way, that's the problem right there, isn't it, Daniel? 
That's what got you into trouble in the first place. You, you, you served him continually. You didn't stop even this once. D Daniel, may the God whom you serve continually, may he rescue you as they throw him into this den of lions. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And this is hard for the king. The king returns to his palace and spends the night without eating, without entertainment, being brought to him, and he could not sleep. He's like, don't bring me food, I'm not hungry. King, you need to eat. No, can't eat. I can't even stomach food. Send away the, I don't need to see the jester or the mime or whatever else. Just keep the entertainment away. I'm just miserable. I'm sick to my stomach. No Netflix. He's just walking. He can't even sleep. He's pacing the floor in his room. He's like, 30 days of Darius, 30 days of Darius. I'm such a, can't believe I fell for that nonsense. I mean, he's, he, what's he going to do? And that next morning, that next morning, verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Notice that anguish. He's just like, he's unslept, he's unfed, he's just, he's anguished, he's upset. And it's almost like he just knows it's over, but he just wants to come pay the respects. Just, he just needs to just, you know, just do this. He's like, cries out in an anguished voice. And here's what he says. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Now, this is the part where those of us who were raised around the stories of the Bible want to say, yeah, yeah, tell the next part. Get to the good stuff. But I think that's a mistake we make. I think it's a mistake. If you rush to the end of the story, you miss the point of the story. Because the point of the story is not what happens next. We always miss the point because we're always rushing to what happens next. But the point of the story is not what happens next. The point of the story is what has already happened. You see, Daniel's primary concern was not the outcome of his decision. It never had been. Since he was a young man, knowing that he could have, he, he, he could have been put to death for his decision not to eat the meat. He said, okay, that's, that's the case, and that's the case. Daniel's primary concern was not the outcome of his decision. See, Daniel, this is important. Daniel, his primary concern was his integrity. And because that was his primary concern, he already won. If nothing, don't read another verse, Daniel already won right now. Because he had no guarantee of outcome. That wasn't his primary concern. He had no guarantee. There are no guarantees of outcome. God never, Dan, listen, Daniel didn't get to read the book of Daniel before it happened. You know? He's not over there saying, oh, I know what happens next. He didn't know. We, we forget that sometimes. Like they, somehow they just, they just knew. You read the stories of the other Hebrew children. They're like, we don't know what's going to happen to us, but we're going to do what's right. He didn't know how it would turn out. It did not always turn out well for many people. Many people were martyrs for doing right. Daniel had no guarantees. By the way, neither do you. Neither do you. This is important. We have, we have no guarantees. Listen, if, if you grew up in a church that said that there are guaranteed outcomes in this life and that everything will always work out, someone lied to you. 
They're going to tell you that if you'll do the right thing, you'll be healthy and wealthy and wise, and your, your wife will never break your heart. Your husband will never do something wrong to, to wreck your heart. He'll, uh, your, your kids will always turn, never hurt. They'll never cause you to lose sleep or, or, or break your heart. And your, your, your money, you'll never lose your pension. Nothing will ever go wrong. And if you'll just do the right thing, it's always going to be good. And if, if you grew up in a culture saying that you can guarantee outcomes by, by what you do, and everything will always work out the way you want it to, someone lied to you. They came up with what, what you and I want to hear. But that's not, that's not Bible. That's not how God's operated, ever. Yes, sometimes he intervenes, amazingly. As we'll mention later, sometimes he doesn't. In the way that we might want him to. But he always comes through in his way, in his time, just not ours. So what's... What's your win? What's your win in life? Well, getting the promotion, proving my, my critics wrong, you know, getting, uh, getting ahead, you know, uh, survival, um, being left alone, I don't know. What's your win? Here's the thing. If you can decide that your win is something that no one can take away from you, you're on a good track. Because people can take a lot of things away from you. They can take your life in this world. They can, take, they can take your life. They can take your stuff. The government can, people can, enemies. I mean, things can happen. But you know what's something that no one could ever take away from you? They can never take away from you what you choose to do. What you do. It could be like, you know, people in history like William Wallace that they celebrated in the movie Braveheart or someone like that who just, uh, as he's being killed for his cause, he yells out freedom, right? Because you can take my life, but you can't take away my, my cause. You can't take away who I am. People can never take away from you. They can take everything from you, but they can't stop you from being true to who you are and what you choose to do. That's on you. You can live and die with that. What's your win? When we give up or trade our integrity for something else, here's the problem. When we do that, it's a lose-lose. We trade our integrity, so we lost that. And what we gain by trading our integrity is always temporal. What we gain by trading our integrity is something that will, it will, it will go away. The money will be spent. The life, if we, if we survive longer, we'll still die someday. Everything we trade our integrity for in the end is gone. We lose that and we lost our integrity. It's a lose-lose situation. There's no win there, right? But Daniel didn't lose anything, no matter what the outcome was. Daniel won before he knew the outcome. Daniel won if the lions would have torn him to shreds limb from limb. Daniel won already. It was a done deal. He won before he knew the outcome because Daniel's win was not the outcome. Because Daniel understood something that we forget, I think. Who is it that controls outcomes anyway? You know, Daniel's been around for a few decades now. Daniel's like, hmm, when I was a young man, Nebuchadnezzar was king. And Nebuchadnezzar thought that he controlled outcomes. But guess what? Nebuchadnezzar's dead and gone. And now Darius is here, and Darius thinks that he controls outcomes. But he'll be gone one day. And I might think that I control outcomes, but I'll be gone one day. Daniel says, you know who controls outcomes? God is in control of the outcomes, not me, not a king, not anybody. God is in control. That's his category, not mine. Who controls outcomes in your life? Do we 
think that it's that boss or it's that person that we are afraid of or that person that we want to win over. Uh, they control the outcomes. Do we control our own outcomes because we manipulate our own circumstances? Who controls outcomes? It's never us. When we, when we resign to that idea, see, Daniel knew that he won, he won before he knew the outcome. Because in the end, it all pays off. In the end, right prevails. It just might not look the way we chose for it to look. It might not look like a win for us in the moment. But the outcome's up into God. So what's your win? So when I was a boy, my, my dad was, um, my dad and mom were expecting me, whoops, young. He, so dad joins the Navy at 17 and kind of gives his heart to God. And my parents are young, young te- teens and young adults with a new kid. And they figured out how to follow Jesus and they decided to serve him with their life. So along the way, uh, when I was a little boy, they got into church, and at some point, they bought a family Bible that was, um, it was very, um, it, was, it, was a, it was the bicentennial year of our nation's history, and back in the days of the moral majority when everyone was combining politics and religion, it was one of those big Bibles where it had all the pictures of all the presidents in the first so many pages of the presidents of that time, and then it had the Bible after that, you know, and the place to put your name and pictures of the Bible stories, but it was like a big old family Bible. I brought, I, so I didn't have a copy, but some years ago, a man in our church uh, at the time named Joe Gross, who uh, owns and runs Superior Dental over in Crown Point, Joe, Joe knew that I had that memory, that sentiment towards that family Bible, he went on a hunting expedition and found a copy and ordered it, got it from Seattle or someplace like that, and he brought it to me as a gift. This is the same Bible I grew up with as a child. Um, I, I can remember, I can just, it's so sentimental, the pictures, the, just, I, I could talk about it all day. But uh, this was a nice gift, and I'm so thankful for it. But in there, there's pictures uh, of Bible characters and stories, and one of the pictures is a picture of Daniel, in the lion's den, and I've seen pictures like this one all my life. And, and in fact, we have a copy of a picture of Daniel in the lion's den like this one. And this picture of Daniel in the lion's den was always one of my favorites. It was one of my favorites because, I don't know why, maybe it's because it's just a cool story. It's got lions inside there. They're really like hungry, you know. I mean, just, it's, 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 it's intriguing. It's edge of your seat type stuff, you know. So this was always a favorite picture, but I never knew how to explain why it was a favorite picture of mine. Until recently, I heard a, another person say, that they, they, someone asked them, they said, what do you notice when you look at this picture? What do you notice when you look at this picture of Daniel and the lion's den? And the answer was this. Well, I noticed that Daniel isn't looking at the lions. Is he? He's not looking at the lions. He's looking somewhere else. He's looking up. That's, that's the secret, isn't it, right there? Is don't look at the lions. See, that's what happens to us with our integrity. What does the integrity call us to do? Our integrity calls us to take the long look. To, to, to not look at the here and now, whether it's our appetites that we want to indulge in or whether it's our fears that we're facing will happen to us. But to look beyond the now and take the long look. The integrity of the upright guides them. Daniel looked beyond the lions way before he landed in the lion's den. And in this picture, I love it because he's, he's not looking at the lions. Can I say something to you today? Don't look at the lions. Don't, whatever you're afraid of today that's causing you to want to do the wrong thing because you're afraid if you don't, you'll miss out or you'll lose, don't look at the lions. Look down the road at something bigger, something more important. Get your eyes on something else besides the lions circling around you. 
I talk a lot about one of my favorite communicators and pastors that's been a pastor to me through these last many years is Pastor Andy Stanley. Uh, many of you know his father, Dr. Charles Stanley, who's now 90 years old and retired. But Dr. Stanley uh, made a statement uh, many times that you may have heard if you've been around that's such a great statement. He said, my responsibility is to obey God and leave all the consequences to him. That's a good state. That's worth, that's worth writing down. That's worth taking a picture of or screenshot that line. My responsibility is to obey God and leave all the consequences to him. That's what Daniel was doing. That's, that's the world, that's the world we want to live in, isn't it? People who live, believe that, that's who we want to govern our nation and our, our state and our county and our town, right? That's the kind of person that we want to be married to. That's the kind of person we want to hire to work for our company or we want to work for. That's the kind of person we want to date our children. Someone who has integrity, who says, my responsibility is to obey God and leave all the consequences up to him. Do we? Are we? People of integrity? Let's go back to our story. Daniel 6, verse 20 Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Verse 21, Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. No, this is important. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. In other words, he said, I'm not just right before God, I'm right towards you. He's not playing that old game that some professing Christians play of saying, I mistreat people, I mistreat whoever, but I'm right with God. Me and God are good. I might mistreat my spouse, I might mistreat other people, but I'm good with God. You, can't, you, you don't know. Me and God are good. He was like, I've been right with God, but I've been right towards you. I've been right in my dealings. I've been right in my, in my, in my integrity towards each other, O king. And he lived. And he survived, and the lion's mouths were shut. Hey, let me ask you a question. Will God intervene and do this for you in your circumstance that you're facing right now? Whatever you're facing, will God intervene and do this for you in your circumstance? Here's a better question. Does it matter? Does it really matter? Well, it matters to me. Yeah, I want to, I want to live. I want to get ahead. I want to do whatever. Does it really matter? Is that really the outcome that we're living for? Is that, is that what's most important to us? Is that why we do what's right? To try and guarantee our own outcomes? Listen, when it comes to following the Lord, being a Jesus follower is all about, following means we stop bargaining. It means we stop bargaining. We stop going to the table and saying, well, God, I'll tell you what, I'll do this as long as you promise me uh, health, wealth, and prosperity, then I'll be, I'm, I'm in. Listen, if you're... If your integrity is a means to a happily ever after ending, that is not integrity. That's something else. In fact, let me just get more pointed to Jesus followers here as Christians, okay? Christians, if, you're, if the outcome of a decision matters more to you than doing the will of your heavenly Father, if the outcome of the decision that you're facing, if the outcome matters more to you than just doing the will of your heavenly Father, you're not following. You're not a follower. You're a user. I'm a user when I do that. We're using him. So in a lot of that, and by the way, this is why there's, I think, such a huge failure 
of cultural Christianity in the West today. Because for a long time in the wealth and the prosperity of our nation, a lot of people figured out a long time ago to use God as a means to, to, for personal prosperity. And then all of a sudden what happens is this, and it's easy to get caught up. You get a good communicator with, with a, the right personality, promising the right stuff, and it sounds good with a few cute stories to tell. We want to believe that if I just name it and claim it and believe it and I'm positive, it always turns out the way I want it to. The danger is this. It might work for a while, but at some point in life, the people, when all of a sudden they followed God and their wife still left them, their husband still divorced them, their child still ended up in jail, their pension still dried up. Something happened and they were doing what was right and something happened like that they didn't want to happen. Also, like, well, I guess that was all, following God was all a farce. If following God was for those ends, then at some point you walk away. People have washed up Christianity because the idea of following God was a bargaining club. That I get outcomes in this broken, sinful world. That he'll do it, I, I can manipulate him to do what I want him to do if I follow him. But following means we stop bargaining. What if God's will is something bigger than just your immediate pleasure or your desired outcome? What if a grander story is being written and a grander good is being done? Let's read the rest of the story, and then I'll say a little bit more, and we'll be done. Daniel 6, 24. This is the, this is, so what happens next is the king is now freed from following the law he made. Now he's going to get revenge because he knows who put him up to this. So at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. That seems barbaric. But remember, Darius was not a Jesus follower or God follower or Yahweh follower. He was just a savage, brutal king who just, that's just how it went back then. That's just how it worked. He just said, I'm taking the whole families and throwing them in that lion's den. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. It's brutal, but it's just the way the world worked. We read a story like this and we're like, yeah, good triumphs and bad is defeated and good wins and the enemies are crushed beneath them. That's the win, is it? Let me ask you again, what's your win? Listen, just please hear what I'm saying. I, I so much want to, I want you to have a faith that will endure. What's your faith in? What's your win? If the win is that your enemies are destroyed and you prevail, then here's my question for you. Does that mean that John the Baptist lost? Remember the story of John the Baptist, right? He preached the kingdom and he was, he, one of the things he said was it was wrong for Herod to be with his sister, in, his, his brother's wife, Herodias. They were having an affair and it was public and, and they threw him in jail. And eventually he didn't get out of jail. Herodias wanted him killed, but her, Herod said no. But eventually she did the whole, you know, used her daughter to, you know, he makes one of those dumb half the kingdom promises. And next thing you know, John the Baptist, his head is cut off, put on a platter and laid at Herodias' feet. Did John the Baptist not win? Did Herodias win? Is she the winner? Well, I guess it depends on what your win is. If that's your win, then that's the win. But here's the thing about Herodias. She died someday too. And there's life after this. And there's greater good. Who really won? What's the win? What was the win for John? What's the win for Daniel? He survived the lion's den. Daniel eventually died too. There's something bigger at play than just living and dying and winning and your enemies going before you go or you getting the upper hand of the promotion of the stuff. What's the better win? 
I, I want to propose today that your integrity should be the win. No one can take away from you what you do. Integrity. Integrity is doing what you ought to, even if it costs you. It's integrity. And I don't know about you, but when you do, well, I do know about you. When you and I do what we ought to, even if it costs you, you are perhaps on the precipice of one of those powerful now God moments where God steps in and does the kind of stuff that legends are made of. Or not. Maybe he has a plan that doesn't involve you winning, but maybe you paying a price and the kingdom advancing or greater good being done or someone else being stirred to follow him through your martyr's flame. Do you see what I'm saying? God, God takes those moments and, and big things happen for the greater story. And we stand before God someday forever and we find out that we lived for a purpose. We did the right thing. It matters. And regardless of outcome, when we do that, you have a story that's worth telling and it's worth writing down and it's worth repeating and it's worth passing on to your generations to follow you and to the people that you do life with. And that's the win. That's the win. You know one way we know that that's the win? We know that's the win because that's the kind of world we want to live in. A world full of people who live that way. So let us as Jesus followers be the kind of people we want the world to be full of. Let's be people of integrity.